We're continuing and resuming, and again, it is 5-2-2021, um, and we're continuing. This is part two, and we were in our notes, and we are at point 1D. We were talking about uh, how God was reconciling the world uh, to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And this is part of um, the understanding that we need, as he has committed to us, the message of reconciliation. It'd be one thing if God the Holy Spirit only had this message about sin about the, and the understanding of not believing in Christ, but we also have th this committed to us. In other words, God is making it our responsibility that we tell people about sin and God's solution to sin. And the Holy Spirit has already fast-forwarded and said, you know what, it's about Christ. And it's about sin, and that's the sin that will send people to the lake of fire. We know that. We're getting to that point. However, we need to help people also understand that sin is not an issue anymore because Christ paid the penalty, the price for every sin that we would ever commit in this world. So 1 John 2, 2 also says it. It says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So God is satisfied with the work of Christ. Are you satisfied with the work of Christ is the question. And if you say no, then what does that mean? It means you don't believe in him. You don't believe in who he is and what he came to do. If you take away from the work of Christ, well, you, you're not on God's side. That's certainly God is touting the work of Christ. And you're taking away from it. That is certainly not a good thing. Do you believe that he is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world? I do. That's what God is telling us. We are responsible now to tell other people. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're moving forward. Point E. Because of the work of Christ on our behalf, sin has lost its power forever. Sin is not condemning anybody for to the lake of fire. It cannot. It has lost its power. Why? Because it's been judged. Now, the fact that it was judged prior to us committing those sins, like I said, I wasn't even born yet, then I need to definitely depend on the fact that Christ came and was judged for my sins. And that happened uh, when he went to the cross. So I need to depend on that even more. I got to have faith to look back and say, yes, I believe that what Jesus did on that cross benefited me because he took my sins and he was judged for my sins. And those sins cannot condemn me. I cannot be judged. I cannot go to the lake of fire because of my personal sins. No matter how bad they are, or how the world perceives them, they are not, they don't have the power to separate me from God. It is one sin 
And we're going to talk about that later. But that is refusing. Well, it actually goes into that in our next point. Point F, refusing to believe in Christ is the only sin that will hinder us from being saved. Notice, it does not condemn us, right? When we, when we don't believe in Christ, it does not condemn us. It is, it, we are already condemned. It's not something that, okay, you committed that sin. Okay, because you committed that sin, off to the lake of fire you go. No, we're already condemned. And the point is, in John 3.18, it says, I'm just going to read it. It's better if I read it. Because, not that we haven't read it, but we always want to read it in the light of what we're talking about. So, John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So, believing doesn't make us condemned. What makes us condemned? Adam's original sin, the bad news, right? When we believe, when we were born, we were born condemned by God already. How can we get condemnation off of us? How can we get God to reverse his verdict of condemned? It is by believing in Christ. So says John 3.18. Whoever believes in him, well, he's not condemned. But whoever does not believe, well, they're, they're not going to be condemned. They already are condemned. They stand condemned already because they have not believed in God's one and only Son. I know we, we know these things. Here, but the world doesn't. You may know these things very well. The world does not know these things very well. And then John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Well, there it is, is not condemned, has eternal life, we said. We, this verse is telling us. But whoever rejects the Son, they will not see life. Well, when it says will not see life, he's talking about the eternal life that the person believed in. Just shortened it here. You will not see life. For God's wrath remains. Notice it doesn't start to become on them because they refuse to believe in Christ. It remains. It was already on them. We already, that's the bad news. People who misuse these verses don't understand the bad news. So we, we have to help. That's why God has also committed to us a message of reconciliation. So if people, if the Holy Spirit is convicting the world about sin because they don't believe in Christ, well, because Christ is the answer to the bad news. So without Christ, we, we don't have God's answer to what we need for salvation. And what we need for salvation, and what not just, oh, well, we'll just pay for your sins and we'll give you righteousness. No, this is what God needs in order for us to have a relationship with him. God's standards require that we have these things. And so he provides them in the person of Christ. If you refuse, then you will stand condemned. You refuse to believe in the work of Christ, then you will stand condemned. Point G, you must believe in Christ to do what he does best. He saves us in two clear ways. 
here it is. One, he took all our sins and was judged in our place. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for both of these verses, is the scripture. And if we just take a look at that, we'll read it. 2 Corinthians 5. The last verse, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. How did he do it? By imputing our sins to Christ. Right? He, he never... Um, imputed him to us for judgment. He imputed him to Christ for judgment. That's why it says God is not counting people's sins against them. Well, who did he count them? Did he just let people get away? Are people just scot-free because of their sins? No, no, not at all. It's because God counted those sins to Christ. He's the one who took your place. He's the one who was punished for your sins. So he, he was made sin for us. What did he mean made sin? Well, that also refers to the fact that he came to this earth to die as a lamb, to be slain on behalf of us. Like John the, the Baptist said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that is who Christ is. He was made sin for us on our behalf. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So there it is. We receive credit for Christ's life. That's point number two. He took our place when it, with regard to our sins. But, but point number two in our notes, he lived a righteous life. And upon believing, we are made righteous. Now, we can see that in other ways. Paul says it in how we were credited, our account was credited righteousness. So there's there's a couple ways it, it could be said. It, no, no matter how you see it or slice it, God sees us as righteous. Not because of our works. Not because we are good. We went to church. We're, we did good works. We were nice to people. None of those things. It's because of the righteous life of Christ. When God the Father looks at you, that's what he sees as accepting and reconciling. None of those other things that people think reconcile them to God or recommend them to God. So we, those two clear ways, and, that, and it's important, and both of them are mentioned right there in that one verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin, he was sinless, he was perfect Lamb of God, that, that he was righteous before God, to be sin for us. He put our sin. He didn't count it to us. He counted it to Christ. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Because we, we believe in him, we become the righteousness of God. There's the exchange right there. Point H, salvation cannot be gained by confessing sin, confessing their sins, Doing better <clears throat> or promising to sin less, reforming your life and becoming respectable to society, or feeling sorry about your sins, or what we would term, some people would term repentance. It is putting your trust in Christ, his work, his person. So a lot of people say, I believe in Christ. But guess what? They, they really don't. They don't respect what Christ did. They don't believe 
that Christ paid for their sins because they're making an issue of their sins. They don't believe that they don't need works for salvation because they're busy trying to show God they're worthy of salvation. When you're doing those things, that's, that's not believing in Christ. We can't say believe. if Because you said, I said the magic words. I believe in Christ. Well, that's the magic word. So therefore, God, you've got to give me salvation. No, it's more than that. You can't. Salvation is not by whosoever says this shall be saved. Salvation is whoever believes. Believes means trust, relies, depends on Christ. For what? For him to do the work that he has done on your behalf. You trust that that's true. Remember, I told you, <clears throat> I'm way 2,000 years after the cross. I'm committing sins in my life that I got to look back to the cross to say, oh, Christ was judged for this sin that I'm committing. Uh, uh, it's kind of crude. I'm not literally saying that's how it works. But I, when I believe in Christ, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm trusting Christ. He took all of my sins at that time. He bore my sins on the cross. And I believe that my righteousness or standing before God is what he has also given me in terms of crediting to my account his righteousness. That's how it works. That's salvation. There are two clear ways. And those are the two ways that we must make clear. So salvation, it cannot be gained by any of those things we mentioned. Promising this. People say, well, I'm, I'm better. I don't sin like I used to. In fact, the church thinks... I'm reformed. I've, I've done well. I'm, I'm getting better. None of those things matter. All those things are in the wrong direction when we're talking about salvation because salvation is free. It's not of works, not of ourselves. But you're making it of yourself when you talk about your works. So you need to understand, and it's not even a matter of, of just understanding because once you understand what God says, then he wants you to believe it. He wants you to trust that for your soul's salvation. So you got to understand what he's saying, yes, but then more than understanding it, do you trust it? Do you trust in it? Do you rest on the work of Christ, not your own works? You'll never have rest if you're, work, if you're working. So the Holy Spirit, there's a point I, the Holy Spirit is not convicting, reproving the world of unbelievers about their personal sins. Now, let's just stop right there. A lot of churches are. They're doing that, which is wrong. For them, it's all about sin. But when it comes to sin, we need to let people know the most important thing is that we trust the work of Christ. This is what God's offer is. It's about one sin. And that's rejecting Christ. If they reject Christ, yeah, <clears throat> the wrath of God will remain on them. They will remain in condemnation. <clears throat> All that's true. <clears throat> question is, are you helping or hindering him? When I say him, I'm talking about God, the Holy Spirit. This is his, He's come to the, to the world and 
things have changed. New information is now uh, been revealed. We know who Jesus is. We don't have to say, like in the Old Testament, okay, it's a, sa it's a Savior to come. It's a Messiah to come. Well, he's, he's here. And he's been here. And now he's, he, he did the work that God required of him on our behalf. So the question is, in your presentation of the gospel, are you helping or hindering? You know what the true issues are. Are you helping people understand them? I could ask churches the same thing. Are you helping people understand what God has done? Or are you in the way? Are you a hindrance? A stumbling block? Do you have in your heart the things of men? Point number two. So about sin, because people do not believe in me. Point number two, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. First point is, do you think, or did you think he was going to say something about the law? <laughs> I hope not. Some people, when they talk about righteousness, well, it means law keeping. You better get to stepping when it comes to the law, because that's what they think. Oh, if you're going to be righteous, you got to do something. You can't just say you're righteous. You can't. You got to be, you got to be keeping God's requirements. Whatever God wants you to do, you got to do it. That's righteous. Right? Well, when it comes to salvation and eternal life, that's wrong. That's not how we receive righteousness. Romans 3.20 says, by, therefore, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. What you're looking for does not come that way. So do not think that that's going to happen. I know most people think it, that's how it works. And guess where a lot of that comes from? Religion. Religion, because they don't care about what God thinks. They just are concerned what they think is makes sense, what's logical to them. So Romans 3.20 is the full stop. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by keeping the law. We can't keep the law. There is no one who does good, not even one. How in the world could we do it anyway? We can't. But yet, the people are stuck on this point. And God the Holy Spirit, this is what he takes upon himself to bring forward. Now, we know we talk about John, the book of John, and how he always talks about believing and, and how... Um, you know, it's always about believing. He doesn't talk about repentance. He doesn't talk about a lot of other things. But John does talk about righteousness in, right here, John chapter 16. He says righteousness is important in salvation here. And how do we know? Why do we say that? Because God the Holy Spirit is coming to emphasize righteousness. He's going to speak to the world about righteousness. Now, it's important. The world may not want to hear it. They may want to talk about relative righteousness or how their one is better than another and another one's better than that one and so forth and so on. But God wants to talk about righteousness. And what does he mean? We're going to get into it. So point B, another point that the Holy Spirit will convict and reprove the world is about righteousness. Yeah, it's not just about sin. 
mentioned earlier. So we said, we said there were two things that Christ focuses on, the work of Christ. One is he died for the sins of the world. Two is that we receive righteousness. He lived a perfect life before the Father. That is the life that is imputed to us. That is the standing on which we not only approach God, but in which we stand. It is just as important as the sin mentioned earlier. It isn't, oh, God's really concerned about sin, but he's not so much concerned about righteousness. No, both are, are needed and necessary for us to be saved. If you only believe in half the work of Christ, you won't be saved. You only believe that God gave, uh, you know, convicted, convicts us of sin. So you say, okay, I believe in Christ. But then you really don't in your heart because you make an issue of sin. Or you make an issue of your works. You think that you are deserving of salvation because of who you are and what you've done and the accomplishments you have made. No. You have to look aside from your righteousness and say, I accept the righteousness of Christ. I believe that that's what Christ did for me as well. Point C, we need Christ's righteousness. <laughs> we need it. Uh, but don't worry. It is also by grace. right? We, so something we need so desperately is by grace. God has given to us this righteousness that we need freely. It does not cost us anything. I mean... It, did, it didn't cost us anything for us to be born spiritually dead, condemned under the wrath of God with an old sin nature. We didn't do anything. We just showed up in a sin nature and condemned spiritually dead, separated from God, all that. We didn't work to get into that situation. We were born into that situation. So God's giving us his own righteousness is also free. It doesn't cost us anything. When we say cost, we're not talking about pay, money. We're talking about works. The works of the law. Romans 3.21 But now, apart from the law, there we are. That's the footing we need to be on. Because he already said there, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by the works of the law. So we have to say, apart from the law. If he had said that we would be righteous by the law, it would be a contradiction. Well, it's apart from the law. The righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, it's not new. Abraham did it. Right? Abraham believed in the Lord and it was credited him for righteousness. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So notice, through the redemption that came. What are we talking about? We're not talking about sin here. We're talking about righteousness. Righteousness is desperately needed. Righteousness is a part of the redemption provided by Jesus. The work, Or as I would say, the work of Christ. We need to make sure we understand that. That's important. It's just as important as sin. And what is one of the holy, holy things the Holy Spirit is coming to tell the world? It's coming to tell the world about these two things. About sin, about righteousness, the works of Christ. So let's, let's get into it. 
we need it, but God, we desperately need it, but it is provided courtesy of the grace of God. Now, point D, what does righteousness have to do with Christ going to the Father? What does that have to do with the one has something to do with the other? It must. Because he says, he's explaining righteousness about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can no longer see me. That's it. I'm done. So, five things that I'm trying to bring out on that point. One, because he is the perfect Lamb of God. Christ couldn't even be our substitute, our sacrifice, if he was imperfect, if he had sinned. If he had sinned, he'd have been a sinner. If he had sinned, he would have needed a Savior himself. But that is not the case. Christ perfect was perfect in everything he did while he was here in the world. He was obedient to the Father in every respect. Thoughts, motives, deeds, and actions. He loved the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And to point two, he lived before the Father as a man and fulfilled all righteousness. So when, when we think about who can save us, well, God sent his own son, right? And like it says, the word, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He took human nature. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. So he, he, he behaved as a man. He depended on the Father and the sustenance of the Holy Spirit while he was here on earth, just as we do. He was a man, and he fulfilled all righteousness before the Father. So, point three, he's the only man who stands in heaven representing us to God right now. He's the only one who God will look at and say, I approve of this man. And if we're talking about men in this regard, we're talking about uh, Adam, he was the first, there was the first Adam who, who brought sin, unrighteousness, condemnation. And there is the last Adam who brought righteousness, life, and peace with God, reconciliation. That's what we have to understand. So we, we now stand in the last Adam, not the first. And that says that it is his righteousness that God the Father sees as representative of all those who are in him. We are in him. But not only that, Christ is the judge. He is the representative of the last Adam for everybody in the world who will believe in him. Not just church age believers. Everybody who would believe in Christ are represented in Christ's righteousness before the Father. He's the only man, this is point number three, he's the only man who stands in heaven representing us to God. That's it. There's no other. Point four. Not only did Christ, Christ substitute for us by taking our sins and judgment, which we already talked about, he is our substitute for our unrighteousness. Yeah. We don't have righteousness, which is required to be with God. Christ is our substitute. He 
he gets when it think we think about our unrighteousness all of that is taken away and he it is imputed to our account his perfect righteousness perfect we already read Romans 3, 10 through 12, which says we don't have any righteousness. There is none who are righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek God. But when we read 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, but God made him to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we have, God balances the bad news with the work of Christ. If we only have the bad news and we reject the good news, then we are stuck with the bad news we will stand in that bad news because we refuse to accept the good news so there's a perfect balance and it's even beyond perfect for us in this age because god's raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms in christ jesus i mean it goes way beyond the fact that we just have righteousness and point number five once christ leaves this earth the righteousness, righteousness he achieved is the standard that is fixed for all mankind. No man can come along and change the standard. We don't, God doesn't need us to, to contribute anything to Christ. Christ is righteous, but I still need you to be good. No, Christ's righteousness is good, not only for our salvation, but for the salvation of every person that was ever born in Adam. His righteousness can stand for them. He achieved it, and he and that's it. He's not continuing to work on it in heaven. He's like, okay, I'm still working. Nope, it's over. He died. And he was resurrected, approved by God, and now he stands in heaven as man's representative for righteousness. He's gone. It, he's not coming back to, to augment, to do more. He's, he, it's done. It's fixed forever. So there's some scriptures, because we, we often talk about, okay, well, sins beforehand have been covered, but we also want to see how righteousness is also covered. Right, Romans 3.25 and 26, let's look at it. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, through the shedding of his blood, to, re, to be received by faith. In other words, I told you I had to have faith to receive it. And this is, but, but I have to look back to the cross, but he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now God is saying, I'm just in uh, you know, reconciling sinners. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith. Okay, so when we says justifies those, how does he justify those? Right, God, justification is the result of something. Justifies is God reversing the verdict of condemnation. How does that happen? It happens because we receive the righteousness of God. Once we believe in Christ and receive the righteousness of God, the justice of God says, justified now, instead of condemnation. So there, you have the work of Christ 
not only in the the atonement part of it, but also on the justified side of it. So there's two sides. God, he justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Well, what does that do? It, they receive the righteousness and justification as a result of us receiving the righteousness of God, right? Of Christ. Now, of course, Christ hadn't come in the past to pay for our sins, did he? He hadn't. So, so the people in the Old Testament have to look forward to the cross and say, yep, he's coming and he will pay for our sins. But the people in the Old Testament not only look forward to Christ coming, pay for their sins, but he was, they look forward to being justified before God, meaning receiving, being credited the righteousness of this Christ, the same Christ who would come and pay for their sins. They would be justified based on the same righteousness that this Christ brings. Yeah. That is something to note. And then if we read, go into 4, and this is Romans 4, 1 through 3, what did Abraham, what should we say, that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, remember we're talking about the righteousness of God, and we're talking about Abraham being justified. If Abraham had been justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we're talking about Abraham, way in the Old Testament, receiving the righteousness of God. What's it based on? Faith. Faith in what God says would come. Abraham had faith in that. He believed in Christ. And it didn't have anything to do with him being circumcised or being obedient, sacrificing his son. None of that. It just Abraham just believed in it, what Christ was going to come and do. And part of that is that God reconciled Abraham uh, through receiving righteousness. Abraham became righteous before God and Hence, justification. God reversed the verdict. So way back then, God could say people were saved, even though Christ hadn't come yet. Because Christ was going to come, and he was going to do the two things that were important to God in order that he would be satisfied. Satisfy all righteousness, be judged for all sins. Christ did both. That's what we ought to see. And then... Um, Verse 20 through 25 in Romans 4. Let's keep reading it. Verse 20. Yet Abraham, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. He's talking about that he would have a son, and through him all nations would be blessed. He's talking about Christ. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but for us also, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness? For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, from the Lord, from the dead, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised for our justification. So there you have it. The Old Testament folks, are their righteousness is the same righteousness we have. It's not different. It's the righteousness of Christ. He's the only Savior of the world. Part of being a Savior means he's 
It is his righteousness that justifies everybody who believes in him. It's part of it. That's what that says. We stand now in that salvation. Okay. We're going to keep going. We, we went through those things, those five things that says that Jesus left. He's not here anymore. It's not going to be changed. It's fixed forever. We have the standard. We don't have to repeat it. God doesn't need you to augment it. He doesn't say, okay, Christ, you did all that, but I still better be good or else. You know, people who don't believe in eternal security, they'll say, yeah, Christ died for my sins. Yeah, I'm righteous, but I have to still do something in order to be saved. If I expect to be saved, that's what they're saying. They're saying, I better get with the program or else I'm out. But that's not it. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, no, Christ is our righteousness, our righteous standing before God. Not what you do, not your attempts at righteousness, at being good. It is his standard. And aren't you glad that that is the case? I mean, do you, do you want God to judge you based on your vacillating righteousness or what you think you know? And the only way we can surely say we're saved is if we stand on the work of Christ. That's it. It does not depend on our works. The good, even the good things that we do, it does not depend on that. Aren't you, aren't you glad that that's the case? So, point E, so you see me no longer. No more demonstrations of righteousness will be given or are needed. They're not needed. <laughs> Isaiah 28, which is uh, odd for a lot of people. Say, Why are you going to Isaiah? Well, let's look at it. Isaiah 28, and we're going to read uh, verses 16 and 17. Here's what it is. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone. Tested, meaning tried. Christ is not going to come and it'll be easy. He's going to have to work for it. Christ worked for his righteous standing before the Father. He, it, didn't, he didn't just, it wasn't just granted unto him. He had to earn it. He had to work for it. So a precious cornerstone for sure, a sure foundation. That's what we need. The one who relies on it, on, on Christ, will never be stricken with panic, will never be afraid. And here, verse 17, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. So listen, God. if God is requiring righteousness, He's not telling people to run to the law. He's telling people to trust in him. This, the stone, the tested stone, the precious cornerstone, the one who relies, trusts, has faith in him will never be afraid. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. So don't tell me that Righteousness doesn't have anything to do with salvation. Don't tell me that, that God expects that we have our own righteousness so that that recommends us to salvation. No, that is not true. Here, even in Isaiah, we have the scripture that salvation is going to be based on these things. And God 
confirms it there in Isaiah. And then Revelation, <laughs> we'll skip all the way back forward to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And we'll look at verses 12 and 13. Verse 12. Well, 11, our, the great white throne. This is the very end after the millennium. The earth and heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. It was nothing now. God's, but except this great white throne. And he's going to do, and I saw the dead, verse 12, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And here it is. The dead were judged according to what they had done works the greek word ergon not sins which is harmartia harmartia is sins but notice they are judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books so if you don't accept christ's righteousness if you don't believe in him then you don't receive his righteousness and thereby you are not justified so what then are you standing on when you stand before this great white throne in judgment? What are you standing on? Your own works. They are judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. God recorded what they had done, what works they had. And the works are not, well, they're evil works. Well, they are evil works. But in the person's mind, they're not evil. In the person's mind, they're expecting that this is going to get them into heaven. They're going to be reconciled to God because of what they had done. Well, here's what it says. The sea gave up the dead, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And each person in those areas, those holding places, was judged according to what? Aragon works, the works they had done. Yeah, that's so you can't, you can't say that righteousness is not important. It's important to God. So much so that it is the very indictment that these people are thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not written, found written in the Lamb's, in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. This is, this is serious. We're talking matters of life and death. And we, we know eternal life is free. We know all these people had to do was put their faith in Christ. They refused. They will have to stand on their own two feet. That's, that's what it is. Point F, we're moving out, moving forward, moving out of here. The only standard of righteousness God will accept for man is Christ. That's it. There is only one way to receive it, and that is according to the scripture. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are all justified freely by the grace, by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's Romans 3, 22 to 24. We're going to bow our heads and we'll close as we look to God. And Father, we're so thankful for you, all that you've given us. 
as we look further into your marvelous salvation and understand the, the true issues that are there and what the Holy Spirit is coming to tell the world, to alert the world that they are neglecting these things, that it is important that they come to the matter of faith in Christ, not reject him, and, and that they have his righteousness. And it is the only standard that you will accept for lost man and Adam. We thank you for the provision. We, we recognize it is thoroughly sufficient. It, it provides everything we need to be reconciled to you for all eternity. So we are grateful and we are in awe of your marvelous plan. As you've chosen us in Christ before the creation of the world. We thank you for our not only our salvation, but our calling. And so, Father, I thank you for each person that's on the phone. Help us to, to have the courage to speak boldly the words of the gospel. To let people know what God has done, what's important to God, and what's important to the world. To let them know these important matters that are on your heart they're also on our heart so father give us the boldness and the courage to speak these words in the world it's in christ's name that we pray all these things amen amen amen